right, good morning, everyone. How are we feeling today? Enjoying this nice weather? It's been a beautiful weekend. The sun has been shining. The North Carolina Tar Heels won a game, praise the Lord. The Duke Blue Devils lost a game, praise the Lord. All the Kansas Jayhawk fans in the house are happy today, too. I understand that. Yeah, there's a few of you in here. That's good. That's good. Uh, good to see everybody here today in all seriousness. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you're new with us, let me just say uh, welcome. Let me add a special word of welcome to you. Um, I'd love to be able to meet you. I'm going to be out at the Connect Point, which is just out these doors to the right. If you'll stop by there after the service, I've got a little gift I'd like to give you. And I'd uh, just like to get to know you a little bit and kind of uh, see how we can better uh, minister with you and to you uh, here at BCC. So that'd be great. Uh, believe it or not, guys, uh, Easter is only six weeks away. Can you guys believe that? Like, we're, we're in 2020. I'm just now getting used to writing 2020. And not 2019. Any of you guys like that in here? It takes me six months to figure out how to write it, and by the time I figure it out, the year's over, you know? But we are blazing through 2020, and Easter is on the, around the corner here. And uh, we're actually going to have some invest invite cards for you here in the next couple of weeks to be giving out to those uh, who, God, who God's placed in your life. And um, as I've told you before, Easter and Christmas in America, for whatever reason, call it nostalgia, call it tradition, people who don't normally darken the door of a church are looking for a church to go to. All right? And many times, those people, those very people, need a relationship with Jesus. They don't know Jesus. Yet. And here's what I believe, and, this, and I think you would agree with me on this. God has placed you where he has on purpose. He has put you in the circle of influence that you have on purpose because he wants you to reach the people that are in that circle of influence. And so here's what I'm challenging everybody to do. I just want you to invest and invite one person, all right? Now, that's not just flip them the card and say, hey, come to church, you know, like a gospel grenade. You ever seen those? You know, just throw it to them and run. It's not like that, all right? I want you to, I really do. I want you to make an intentional uh, approach uh, to one person, okay? Okay? that you know that's at the place where you work or maybe in your neighborhood or at your kid's school or someone your kids play uh, sports with. Um, I want you to invest and invite in one person because here's the thing. If every person in this room does that and brings one person with them for Easter weekend, we'll see this house packed. And more than that, we'll see people who don't know Jesus come in contact with a Jesus who raised from the dead on the third day. Someone say amen. And through that, through that relationship they've cultivated with you and you've brought them in, they can gain a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's our goal, really, at the end of the day. That's really what we want to see is people's lives changed with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And we want every man, woman, boy, and girl to know that message. Amen? <clears throat> now, the other thing, excuse me, the other thing coming up is our Easter outreach, okay? Uh, that's going to be on, let me write down the date here. It's on April the 4th, Saturday, April 4th. Our, our Easter outreach event this year is called Egg Palooza. Isn't that a fun name? I didn't think of it, but I just thought it was a fun name. It just means egg party is all it means. But here's the thing. We're going to have thousands of Easter eggs there that we're going to be hunting. All right, adults, you can't hunt for them. We can watch the other kids hunt for them, all right? So bring your children and grandchildren and your neighbors and all that kind of stuff, okay? But we're going to have thousands of eggs there to hunt. We're going to have uh, some animals there. I won't tell you anything else about that, okay? The kids are animals, but we're going to have regular animals too, all right? And we're going to have a putt-putt course. We're going to have a train ride. We've got all kinds of stuff coming. It's going to be really great. So um, as I've challenged you in the past, if every family would bring a family, Family. That's what I'd like you to do, okay? Every family, bring a family. Can you guys say that with me? You ready? Go. Every family, bring a family, all right? So I know you can say it, and I know you understand it. So now it's time to go do it, okay? So start talking about that. Everybody loves to be part of these Easter egg hunts. So it's a great time for people to be introduced to Bible Christian, and again, Lord willing, they can come and be a part of BCC and come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and we're going to jump in because we've got a lot of ground to cover today. And uh, our, our little recap video uh, covered a little bit for us, introduced us to it, but I want us to dive in a little bit deeper today, and uh, I think it'll be a blessing. I really hope it'll be an encouragement to your hearts this morning. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that it holds, God. We are grateful for the way that it changes us day by day as we allow it to uh, seep into our hearts and, uh, and redirect our desires. And so, God, today, um, as we uh, look into the passage at hand here from the Gospel of Mark and from the story, God, that you would, I pray that you would change us, Lord. And we ask, as always, that you would help us to leave here changed and not the same. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <clears throat> advertising and marketing has always fascinated me. I enjoy just understanding the why behind the what we're advertised with all the time. And we're actually the most advertised to generation in the history of the world, if you didn't know that. Uh, every, even YouTube now, you're watching a YouTube video, and at, there's always one at the beginning. Now they're putting them in the middle, like multiple times. And it's insane how much we're advertised to and we're marketed to. Um, but uh, I, I enjoy studying diff- or, or looking into different companies and things like that and how they market and how they advertise. And I think probably one of the best marketers, one of the best advertising companies in the world it's Disney World, all right? Now, you know your pastor. He loves him some, some, some Disney World, all right? I almost wore my Mickey ear. I actually don't have Mickey ears. I'm kidding, all right? But I do have a Mickey tattoo. But No, I don't. I promise I don't. I don't. I don't. I promise. I pr- rest assured, I promise. I don't. I don't like needles, all right? But, but you know I love me some Disney World, all right? So, so, but here, here's what I thought we would do. I want us to look at a few advertisement pictures. I pulled these directly from Disney's website, okay? And I want us to take a look at them, and I want us to kind of see what they're trying to get us to feel, okay? Let's throw this first one up here for me. All right, so if you don't know, this is Princess Tiana on the right. Everyone say Princess Tiana. You didn't know you were going to come to church today and get an education on Disney princesses, did you? All right. That's Princess Tiana from The Princess and the Frog. All right. And this is supposed to be a scene from the Magic Kingdom. And look at these little future princesses over here. They're all dressed like her. And they're so happy. They're making memories. And, and, and what it looks like is that there are just these random princesses frolicking around Magic Kingdom, just waiting on future princesses to come up and greet them and take pictures and be excited about it as Princess Tiana is there. What, what they don't show you is that there's actually a line of like a hundred other future princesses that want to come see Tiana too, and so you wait in that line. But this is kind of, this is one of the, I think this is a really good like heart-touching, heart, or heart-string-pulling picture. Okay, go to the next one for me. Isn't that one beautiful, right? That's the screensaver on my computer right there. That's, no, it's not. But, but that's the castle at Magic Kingdom. Now look at this scene here, and put yourself there. It's a beautiful spring day. The sky is clear, the sun is shining, there's a cool breeze on your face. Now, you know that's not true. It's Florida because it's humid, all right? But there's nobody on Main Street. Like nobody. You can't even see a, a human being on Main Street here. And there's this idyllic castle off in the distance. And you take a breath and you're like, man, this is like a fairy tale. This is like a fantasy. This is incredible. Now, here's what Disney World can look like on some of their busy days. Go to that next one for me. Yeah, say, hey, does that make you want to go right there? It's not always like that. That's a Christmas Day photo right there. Christmas Day is an insane time to go down there, but this is it. Now, they don't advertise to us with this one. They advertise it the first way with the fairy tale picture. Now, go, go to the next one here, okay? They don't want to leave anybody out. So they put some, some nice 20-something young people here. Maybe they're getting engaged. They don't want to leave this part of the demographic out. Look, at, they're in love. Man, she's just put a ring on her finger. They're standing in front of an almost empty carousel. Notice that, okay? All right. Now, what they don't show you, because this makes you feel really good. You're like, oh, you can go to Disney and fall in love. It's wonderful, right? Just outside the shot, it looks like this sometimes. See? That's that's a pretty happy shot there, isn't it? I mean, you want to be in the middle of that crowd with a poncho on, sweating, right? That's good. That's good. All right. One last one here. I like this one probably one of the best, okay? 
So this one is peppered throughout the website. If you click around on the Disney website, you'll see these advertisements. There'll be one like with a kid and his parent on Dumbo, and there'll be one on other rides. This is the carousel again. It just happened to be it. Mom here looking down at her son, and he's just happy throwing his head back, and they're making memories together, and he's so grateful. He's so thankful to his mother. He's going to take care of her when she gets old and not put her in a home. You know what I mean? He's going to take care of her because she's got him on that carousel, and he's experiencing joy for the first time. When in reality, many times these little kids on rides look more like this. <laughs> He's having fun, isn't he? Look at that guy. That's actually a real picture. I Googled worst Disney World pictures, and that was one of the ones that popped up. I thought it was great. It was great, all right? And sometimes they do that. Why is it that Disney advertises with the first pictures? Why, why, why is it they, they put these just amazing uh, emotional pictures out there to advertise to you? Because they know if they can get you to feel a certain way, if they can get your emotions moving in a certain way, it'll change the way that you act. It'll change your actions. And in turn, it will make you walk into the Magic Kingdom and take your wallet out and just hand it to Mickey Mouse with a smile on your face. That's what will happen. They know it'll get you to spend money if you can feel all the feels. And here's the thing. Our emotions and our feelings have the ability to lead us places we didn't, wouldn't normally go. Our, our emotions and our feelings can lead us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. And that's true with positive things and happy things like a vacation. But it's also true of negative things that come into our lives and negative experiences that we face in life as well. Sometimes when the storms of life hit us, when you have that financial struggle, when you have that struggle in your marriage, when you have that struggle uh, maybe with an addiction, maybe when you have that diagnosis that you got from the doctor, maybe when you're having that situation with your 15-year-old or your 16-year-old in school and you're worried and it's a stormy time in life. Many times when the storms of life hit, our feelings can lead us to doubt God, to become afraid, and to panic. And here, here's the reality. This is the harsh reality. Everybody faces storms. I don't care if you're in here this morning and you say, I don't even know Jesus yet. I'm just checking this whole thing out. You will face storms. Storms are the norm. Can you guys say that with me? You ready? Go. Storms are the norm. Listen, many of you walked in the room this morning and you're in the middle of one. You've been facing one. Maybe it's been a short term or maybe it's been a long term and it's been lasting for months or years. But every person, many people in this room have come in with a storm. And if you're not one of those people who walked in in a storm, unfortunately, there is probably one not too far around the corner for you. And now that I've encouraged you with that word, let's all go home. Let's pray. Okay, let's go home. All right, I won't leave you there. I won't leave you there. But here's the thing. When things get bad enough in the storm, and we've been in that place of darkness for long enough sometimes, and maybe even sometimes when it's a short-term storm, there are times when we can feel like we're forsaken by God. We feel like, God, like, are you even up there? I mean, how, how could you let me go through this? How could you allow this in my life? We hear God loves me. We sing in Sunday school, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. If he loves me, how could he leave me where I'm at? I feel forsaken. And if you're honest, many times in your life, you've probably been to that place when you're walking through a storm. I think it's true for every person that walks the planet. We get to that place where we feel like, man, I feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. I feel like no one's even listening, and I really feel forsaken in the middle of my storm. Well, here's the good news. I've given you the bad news. Here's the good news. We aren't the first people ever to struggle with this thing, okay? I want you to open up your Bibles in the story Bible. We're going to go to chapter 24 in the story. If you've got your traditional Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, the gospel of Mark chapter 4. 
And what we're going to see today is we're going to see how the disciples handled a storm that was brought into their lives. Now, let me give you a little bit of context as we jump into this story, okay? So, uh, Jesus here has been traveling around with his disciples, and they've been healing people, okay? Some of the healings he's been doing, he healed this guy with a withered hand at a synagogue, all right? And he gets berated by some of the religious people for doing it on the Sabbath, all right? He, he heals him. Uh, he heals a paralyzed man. Do you remember that story where the, the crowds were so, they were so big around the house where Jesus was teaching that his friends came and they cut a hole in the roof and they drop this guy down in front of Jesus and he heals him and he, he actually gets saved. He forgives his sins, but he, he also heals his body. He was paralyzed from birth and he heals him. The other guy he heals is a guy that has leprosy, okay? Leprosy in a lot of ways back in Bible times was a lot how we, a lot of the way we would approach cancer today. Yeah, there's ways you can kind of deal with cancer and then occasionally you can go into remission, but there's not really a full-on hard set cure for it, all right? It's eventually more than likely going to take you out. And that's the way the leprosy was then. He's healing people from leprosy. He's healing people that are quadriplegics that have never walked a day in their life. He's healing people with withered hands and birth defects. In addition to this, he's casting out demons. He's going, I mean, this is no light work. Right? He's going around these places and it says people, probably more, it doesn't give us a number, but hundreds if not thousands of people have come to Jesus and said, we need to be healed from our sickness. We need to have this demon cast out of this person. And so he's doing all these incredible, incredible things. And up to this point, Point, the disciples have really only experienced the good times with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I like the times of sunshine, don't you? I like the times when I'm on the mountain with Jesus. And I mean, these guys were traveling around like they were rolling with a celebrity, all right? They were part of his entourage, following him around, listening to his teaching, and, and watching him heal people. And one of the things that he continued to go back to, and this will be true all throughout the Gospels, is Jesus will continue to say this phrase over and over and over. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can you guys say that with me? You ready? Go. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. And the kingdom of heaven, put simply, it's, it's the rule, it's the invisible rule and reign of God in our hearts, all right? It's not this outside kingdom. A lot of the Jews thought Jesus was going to come and, and be this military ruler, help them conquer Rome and deal with all the external problems. And Jesus says, no, I came and now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's this invisible rule of God or this invisible rule of Jesus in our hearts. It's a fix on the inside, not necessarily on the outside, but all these people are following him around because they want him to be their king. At one point, they even, they even take him up and they say, hey, let's make him a king right now. And he says, no, no, no. And he scoots away quickly and gets out of sight because he says, my time has not yet come because I didn't come to bring all this peace on the outside. I came to bring the peace on the inside. You guys with me? Say yes. So this is where we pick up the story. It's been all good pretty, for the most part. It's been all sunshine for the disciples, and that's where we pick it up in verse 35 of Mark 4. If you're in your story Bibles, it's page 343, and we'll be on that for the entire text today. It says, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. If you're taking notes, number one is this. Sometimes Jesus calls us into the storm. Sometimes Jesus calls us into the storm. Jesus says, guys, let's get in the boat. I've been teaching. I've been healing over here. These crowds have been all, all over us for this entire day, for a season, really. He says, let's get in the boat. We're going into evening. Let's go across to the other side. Now, we don't know exactly who the disciples were in this boat, okay, that are going to get in the boat in a minute. <clears throat> we're not given the specifics. 
but many of the disciples were experienced fishermen, okay? And as experienced fishermen, when Jesus gave them this command and said, let's go over to the other side, they knew all about the Sea of Galilee. That's where for years they had made their living before they left everything and followed Jesus. They knew what could happen on these waters at night. So the Sea of Galilee actually sits about 700 feet below sea level, and it's a very dangerous sea, especially at night. It's surrounded by mountains and hills all the way around it, especially on the eastern side of the sea, okay? By the way, as you're reading the scriptures, this is kind of, this is kind of neat as well. Um, you'll hear this called various names as well. You'll hear it called the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. All these bodies of waters you read through in the Gospels, it's actually all talking about this Sea of Galilee right here that they're referring to. But on the eastern side of this Sea of Galilee, this lake, it's, it's huge, all right? Um, there are these mountains that are about 2,000 feet high. And what will happen is this cool, dry air will come over the top of that mountain range on the eastern side, and it'll come down to the sea where that warm, moist air is, and you guys know exactly what happens when those two things mix. You get these violent downdrafts and these sudden storms that can seemingly come out of nowhere, and they are ferocious. By, by no means would it be a far cry to say it could take down a ship. It could definitely and absolutely take your life. And the disciples, as experienced fishermen, knew exactly what would happen on the sea if they went out at night, quite possibly, would happen to them on sea. So you can imagine the things they might have said to Jesus when he says, let's go to the other side. I imagine it going kind of like this. Jesus, are you sure you want us to go to the other side? I mean, we've been obedient up to this point, but like, are you sure about this? I mean, we don't expect you to understand this because you're a carpenter, and you're a good carpenter. That table you made for my mom was really nice, Jesus, all right? But we're fishermen. We know what happens on the Sea of Galilee at night. It's dangerous, Jesus. There are these storms, and it could kill us. I think you might be making a mistake to call us out into the sea at night, but Jesus instructs them to go anyway. He says, let us go to the other side because Jesus had a plan in mind. And listen, I've walked with the Lord for a lot of years now. I, got, I accepted Christ when I was 14. And one of the things that I've learned about Jesus is there'll be times when he calls us into the storm, but this is, the, this is probably the greater truth in this, kind of wrapped or encapsulated in this, is this. Jesus always has a plan even when he doesn't give us an itinerary. Jesus always has a plan even when he doesn't give us an itinerary. Itinerary. See, right here in this situation, it's much like in your life when Jesus calls you into a storm. He doesn't give you the play-by-play. He doesn't give you all the reasons why or all the steps of the journey ahead. But he just calls us to obey me, to trust me, to step into this scary situation with me. And if you're one of the disciples, I mean, imagine where they're sitting here. These guys would say, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. We've given up our job. We quit our jobs to follow you. We're trying to learn your teaching. We're trying to understand this whole kingdom of heaven thing you keep talking about. We're trying to discern what these parables mean that you keep sharing. And we've been obedient. You could really say it this way, church. These guys were smack dab in the center of God's will for their life. And yet, Jesus still called them out into a storm. You see, a lot of times whenever stormy times come or difficult times come, we do a lot of what the religious people did in the scriptures. When people would come that were dealing with stormy things like physical diagnosis that were bad, like, you know, the lame man, he'd be like, well, who sinned, him or his parents? Is this punishment for that sin? 
And I'll just tell you this, sometimes it can be. I, I'm not going to write that off at all. I see it in Scripture that sometimes Jesus can use difficult circumstances and storms to discipline us and get our attention. Sometimes it's our own boneheaded decisions that get us into storms, and we like to blame it on the devil, but it's just us being stupid. And somebody say amen to that one, right? Right? There are times like that. But I'm telling you, listen, you can be right in the center of God's will for your life, doing what's right, honoring God with your family and your finances and sharing your faith and doing the things you know to be right as best as a human being possibly can. And sometimes Jesus will still call you into a storm. He'll want to take you through a difficult time so that he can teach you something. But rest assured in this, Jesus always has a plan. He's always in control, even if he doesn't give you the play-by-play itinerary. Amen? Here's the deal. Look what they do. Leaving the crowd behind, verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind after this whole thing goes down. He says, Jesus took, or they took him along, they took Jesus along just as he was in the boat, and there were other boats with him. So against their better judgment, they obey. They go with him in the boat into the sea, and look what happens. Their worst fears come true. Verse 37, a furious squall came up. Now that's a wind squall, not a snow squall, all right? How many of you guys got that text this week? I was sitting in a meeting I was sitting in a meeting, and it, and it, like, started buzzing in my pocket. I was like, what is a snow squall? What? Lord, where have you called us? You know what I mean? That's why I learn new things about Southwest Kansas every day. That's first, that was the first time for me. So this is a wind squall. This is a ferocious storm. And what it means is very much like that snow squall alert we got this week. It's something that can be fine one moment and out of control the next. This is a ferocious storm that can come out of nowhere. And look what it says. A ferocious storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now put yourself where the disciples are. They're doing the best they can do to obey Jesus. They're trying to follow him. They've quit their jobs. They've trusted him to go out in this water at night, and the storm comes. The lightning flashes. The thunder claps. The waves begin to bang against the side of the boat and even come into the boat and begin to fill it. The wind is howling around them. And very much like you or I would be in that situation, they're afraid. They're scared for their lives, and they're thinking to themselves, this is exactly what we told Jesus would happen. Why did we listen to a carpenter and come out into a storm in the middle of the night? We knew better than this, guys. We knew better, and now we're going to die. This storm is going to take us down. And in the middle of this ferocious squall, this ferocious storm, look at what it says Jesus was doing. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I mean, that's a miracle in and of itself, that this man can sleep during a storm of this magnitude. But I love the detail that Mark gives us about this. See, this wasn't just like an accidentally, like he fell asleep while he was doing something. You guys ever do that? The older I get, I actually tend to, I can fall asleep sometimes sitting up like a horse or something. It's really weird. All right, this wasn't what happened to Jesus. He wasn't in the boat doing something and he was just tired and he kind of dozed off. No, he intentionally went and found a cushion, a pillow, and he went to sleep intentionally in the stern of the ship. I think this shows us a couple things about what we've been talking about Jesus for the past few weeks. Remember how two, uh, two or three weeks ago we talked about Jesus as the, the Word made man, how that he was fully God and he's fully man. This is a great description that Jesus, and a telling of how Jesus faces exactly what you and I face as human beings. He understood being tired. He understood being worn out. He'd been healing and teaching and casting out demons and doing all these things. And he was tired and he found a pillow and he intentionally went to sleep. Now, that's the fully human part. 
But the fully God part is amazing because he's only able to sleep in the storm because he's fully God and he's fully in control of the situation that he's leading the disciples into, which is this storm. Jesus had a plan in this, and I love the detail that he gives us there about Jesus taking a little nap in the stern of the ship on a comfy feather pillow. Now, the disciples were a different story during this time. While Jesus is sleeping, they're panicked. They are freaking out. They are afraid. They think this whole thing is going down around them. And remember, these are experienced fishermen. So I don't have any doubt that they've already done the things they know to do. They knew exactly what to do to give them the best chance of surviving in a storm. Don't you think that to be true? If they've been out on the Sea of Galilee for years of their adult life, they know what they ought to do. So I don't doubt they had the five-gallon buckets, and they're scooping the water, and they're throwing it overboard. All this water, these waves that are crashing in, trying to swamp the ship, they're scooping up the water and throwing it overboard. I have no doubt they're lighting the ship. One of the things that was very common during storms at that time is they would take non-essential things on the ship that they didn't need in a storm, and they would take it and throw it overboard to try to light the ship to keep it floating. I have no doubt they've done all of these things. They did everything they could to fix the storm themselves. And the whole time they're working and trying to save the ship and everybody on board, Jesus is taking a nap. He's seemingly disengaged with their problems. Do you ever feel like that when you go through a storm? Does it ever seem like Jesus is asleep while your problems are wide awake? You know, you, you say, Jesus, do you, do you even know what's going on right now? Like, are you, are you engaged at all? Are you some distant God who's way off in the distance, who doesn't really see what's happening in my life? God, are you sleeping? Do you care? Because it feels like you can't see this. It feels like you're disconnected from my situation. See, that's some of those feelings that try to creep in when we're in the middle of a stormy time in life, which leads us to our second point. Not only does sometimes Jesus call us into the storm, but sometimes we can doubt Jesus in the storm. That's exactly where the disciples are at in their hearts here. Look what they say. Look at what they accuse the Savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah. Look at what they accuse him of in this next verse. Storms going on around them. The disciples woke up Jesus and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if our lives are taken? Don't you care about this storm that we're facing? Now, I will give them credit that they at least went to Jesus, but they didn't come to him in faith. They came to him doubting him, right? I mean, they, they, they aren't so much asking for help here as they are questioning Jesus' care for them. They say, do you even care about our situation? Do you even care that we're going to die? Do you even care that you're going to die? They thought he was going to die too. All these hopes and dreams of the Messiah are going to go down and we're going to be on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee here in just a few seconds, Jesus. Do you even care? They came to him with a lack of faith and he actually rebukes them for this further down in verse 40. After he calms the storm, which we're going to get to in a minute, he says, where's your faith? He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You've seen the things I've been doing. You've heard the things I've been teaching. Do you still have no faith? No, they didn't. Their feelings were ruling them. Their feelings were leading them in the storm to doubt who Jesus was. They had looked at their situation. They had done everything they could. They had added every skill and ability they could to the storm to try to fix it, and they came up wanting, which, by the way, that's kind of the definition of a storm. If it's something you, you do everything you can and you're still in it, that's a storm. Otherwise, it would just be something on your checklist for the day. All right, I need to do this, I need to fix this, and it's done. No, no, no. A storm is something really outside of your control. And so the disciples here had seen how scared 
scary the storm was. They had added in all of themselves to try to fix it, and they had come to the conclusion that because Jesus was asleep, he didn't care, and it was all over, and they were going to die. And they said, Jesus, do you even care? We could say it like this. Jesus, you've forsaken us. We left everything and followed you. We're doing the best we can do to do what's right, Jesus. We're trying to learn. And you've, you've forsaken us. They're doubting him. And that's easy to do in the storm, isn't it? I don't know what you came in here carrying today. I don't know what storm you're in. I don't, I don't know everything about your personal lives. But oftentimes we come to Jesus the same way the disciples did, doubting and not in faith. Jesus, do you even care? About my family situation? Do you even care about the financial crunch we're in? Jesus, do you even care about my infertility? Jesus, do you even care about this storm that I'm facing right now? And we allow doubt to lead us when we're in the storm. And here's the thing about doubt. Listen, doubt is the result. Write this down. This This is good. Doubt is the result of allowing your problems to override God's promises. Doubt is the result of allowing your problems to override God's promises. Because think about this. What had Jesus just told them in verse 35 before they even left the dock? He said, let us go to the other side. That wasn't a suggestion of what he hoped would happen if they got in the boat. This is Jesus, creator God in the flesh, who says, let us go to the other side. He wasn't hoping they would get to the other side. He's like, well, guys, we'll try to get to the other side unless a a squall comes up or a storm comes up. We'll, We'll try to get to the other side unless we get too tired and have to stop. No, he says, let us go to the other side. It was going to happen because Jesus, creator God, had said it was going to happen. But you see, doubt creeps in. Listen closely. When we allow the storm to tell us what's true instead of what Jesus has already said. Isn't that true? Last week we talked about the temptation of Jesus and we said one of the greatest tools the enemy uses is questions. And the enemy likes to put question marks where Jesus has already put a period. Amen? And see, Jesus already said, guys, we're going to go to the other side. He had work to do over there. He was going to go over there and run into the uh, demoniac. If you keep reading, that's what's going to happen in the next, cha- the next part of the ver- verses there. He's going to go over there, and he's going to cast out demons from this guy and do a miracle. He had plans on the other side, and he said, let us go to the other side. It wasn't a suggestion. It was what was going to happen. But here's the thing. If you're doubting Jesus' care in the storm, it's because you've allowed your eyes to go to the problem. You've allowed your eyes to go to the storm. You've allowed your ears and you've lent your ears to the enemy. And you've believed the lies of that enemy and the lies of that storm instead of the truth of what Jesus has said. Amen? And it's easy for us to fall into that trap. And that's exactly what the disciples are doing right here. They're listening to the storm. And they'd forgotten the words that Jesus had already told them. They're doubting his care because they don't understand. They're like, Jesus Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Maybe they had that song back then, I don't know. Jesus, you're supposed to love us. How could you let us go through this? There's no way you can care about us if you're letting me go through this storm. I, I love what, uh, what Tim Keller wrote about this. I, I put this quote up here for you. Listen to what he says about this when we don't understand about the storms. If there is a God, of course he would know things that I can't know about what's best for me. And you see, that's one of the keys in the storm. Jesus knows what's best for you. And unfortunately, usually what's best for us is not the sunshine, it's the thunderclap and the wind and waves of a storm. 
because it fixes our eyes back on who Jesus is. And Jesus here, even though the disciples didn't understand, even though he hadn't given them the play-by-play and all the steps of what were going to happen, Jesus knew that what was best for them was to go through a storm to reveal a lack of faith in their hearts in an area, which we're going to get to in a moment. And he was going to teach them something about himself. Let's move on to number three. Sometimes Jesus calls us into the storm. Sometimes we can doubt Jesus in the storm. But listen, this is what Jesus wanted to teach them. And we're going to flesh this out a little bit. Every time Jesus is enough in the storm. Can you say that with me? Jesus is enough in the storm. You ready? One, two, three, go. Jesus is enough in the storm. Every time Jesus is enough in the storm. Now listen to this next verse. Now you guys, if you've ever been to church or been to Sunday school, you've seen the flannel graphs and you know this verse by heart. And so we like kind of disengage with it when we read it. I want you to read it as if you're reading it for the first time. And think about what creator God in human flesh, Jesus, is doing here. They've come to him afraid. And look at what he does. He got up rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Again, put yourself in the boat. The disciples were at the point, they thought it was all over. They went to the Messiah and accused him of not caring. And they go to him in fear. The storm is raging. The waves are crashing. The wind is howling. They say, Jesus, don't you care? And this is what I envision happening in this story. This is not in there. I'm going to ask Jesus about it when I get to heaven. This is what I think he did. I I don't even think he got all the way up. I think he just kind of sat up and did one of these right here. You know, like what you do? What you do in the night when your kids come in there and they're scared? You're like, what, what's the problem, guys? What do you do? Do you have no faith? Try that one with your kids next time they run in the middle of the night. Do you have no faith? It won't work, but you can try it. You'll sound real spiritual. I think Jesus just sat up like this and he went, quiet, be still. And he spoke to the wind and the waves. And the wind and the waves responded to his voice because they knew his voice. It was the very voice that had spoken them into existence at creation. Remember the Word? Jesus is the Word of God. He was active in creation. He can speak to aspects of creation, and their ears go up, and they listen, and he brings a calm to a storm that next to any other man would have destroyed him. But this Jesus was no ordinary man. He had come and he says, I'm going to prove my strength. I'm going to prove my power to you in the middle of this storm. And he says, be quiet, be still. And I think there's two things as we wrap this up today. There's two things he wanted his disciples to understand in this storm. This is what he wanted to teach them. Listen closely. Number one is this. I have the power. Some of you in the room need to hear that today. Jesus has power the power to remove any storm that you face. I don't care what it is. I don't care how bad the diagnosis looks from the doctor. I don't care how bad your financial situation seems. I don't care how bad your marriage is. Jesus has the ability to show up and show off and defeat and calm any storm in your life. Amen? A little tongue-in-cheek, Jesus says to him. I've never lost sleep over a storm. There is nothing 
that can come up against me that holds any chance against my power because I am fully God, Jesus Christ. He says, that storm may seem too big for you. That's the reason it's a storm. It's not something you can handle. That storm may seem like something that's out of your control because it is, but nothing, Christian, you can face in this life is too big for our God. That's a great place to say amen. Now, here's the easy thing. The easy thing is to come out of that part there where we say Jesus has the power and go, you know what you do? You just pray and tell Jesus and he'll take it all away. Whatever storm you're facing, just pray today. And and I would encourage you to pray. Don't not ask, ask God. But we say pray and God will take it away. But here's what I know. Most of you walked in the room today and you've already done that. You've been begging God, God, take it away. Maybe you've been doubting and feeling like, Jesus, do you even care? And you've been like the disciples. And God's chosen not to take that storm away yet. So what do we do? I think the other piece of what Jesus was trying to teach them here is even more important probably than his ability to take it away. It's this. He first wanted them to know, guys, listen, I have the power. And secondly, you have my presence. You have my presence. The one with the power is with you. The whole time you guys had the five-gallon buckets out, fretting and being scared and afraid in the middle of your storm, thinking you were going to go down with this ship to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, I was right there with you in the boat. I never forsook you. You were never alone. My presence was with you. And if we were to go around this room right now, you could probably share stories of time when you went through a storm, you went through a dark time in your life, and you said, you know what, I wouldn't have chosen that for myself, but you know what, Jesus' presence was so real to me, and I got to know Jesus in a special way that I would never have experienced had I not gone through the storm. I learned things about Jesus in the storm that I never could have learned in the sunshine. And I'll just tell you this, as a testimony from your pastor today, we've been through health situations with me and Sonia. I've been helped through health situations with our kids. They were stormy. We've been through financial situations. We've been through ministry difficulties. We have been through storms. And I'm going to tell you, there were times I would never have chosen those things for myself. But through it, Jesus' presence was so real. And I got to know him in an intimate way that I never would have experienced outside of the storm. Amen? Because here's the deal. Sometimes Jesus speaks peace to the storm. And other times... His presence speaks peace to our hearts. You see, both those things are true, but I think many of you in the room need to cling to the second half of that today. Allow his presence to speak peace to your hearts. And here's the thing. Listen real close. Remember in the beginning of this message, I said Jesus has been preaching and teaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All those people were following him around because they liked what he could do on the outside. What he's trying to tell the disciples here is exactly what he's been preaching. Guys, listen, I can calm the storm. I can do that stuff. But I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring peace via the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in your hearts. He said, yeah, I got the power. I can flex anytime I want to. But I came to bring peace to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls that walk this planet. And listen, it's the same for us in the storm. Jesus can speak peace to whatever it is that you're walking through. He can. He can remove it. But he can always give you that peace in your heart by way of his presence. Amen?
Now look at how it ends here. I love the disciples' change of attitude. Verse 41, they were terrified. And they asked each other, who's this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, Jesus' plan, what he wanted to teach them, it worked. See, they discovered more of who Jesus was through the storm. They sensed his presence. They understood and witnessed his power. And they moved from being terrified of their circumstances and of the storm to being wholly fearful of an almighty God. See, they got in the boat with him, and he was just a man. And halfway across the lake that day, they woke up God in the stern of that ship. And they walked away understanding Jesus, discovering things about him in a special way they never would have been able to experience had he not carried them through the storm. Jesus had transformed their hearts in this way and changed the level of their faith in the process. And that's the thing. You know, storms, they put us in position for transformation. Now, you can buck it. You can resist it. You know, storms have the ability actually to either draw you nearer to Jesus' presence or push you away from it. I hear deconversion stories from time to time, and many of them start out with a difficult time in a person's life. I went through this hardship, and they end up turning their back on God. You can buck it. You can resist the transformation. But Jesus is allowing you to go through whatever you're going through right now. If he's not chosen to remove it, He's allowing you to go through it because he's trying to put you in a position to transform your heart, to come away more in awe of Jesus. Because that's really what's best for you. See, storms are going to come and go. And we always, we, we, we naturally think the best thing for us is for the pain and for the storm to go away. That's not what's best for us. What's best for us is to moment by moment become more and more in awe of who Jesus is. Amen? These storms put you in that position to be transformed. And here's the thing. If this is true, if this is true that storms can transform our hearts, that then when we go through storms, we're, it's not proof that we're forsaken. It's proof that we're loved by our Heavenly Father, is it not? If storms are used to transform us and give us more of what's actually best for us, that means you're not forsaken. That means you're loved by an almighty Heavenly Father who wants the best for your life. Amen? That's what he was doing here with the disciples. And that's exactly what he wants to do in your heart today. And so do you know what that means for you today in your storm? Here's the application. You can close your Bibles. You're always mistaken to assume you are forsaken. You're always mistaken to assume you are forsaken. Let's say that together. You ready? Go. You are always mistaken to assume you are forsaken. Why? Because no matter what you're going through, none of it is bigger than your God. Nothing you're facing today is bigger than Jesus' power. He can talk to the wind and make it shut up. He can talk to the waves and make them calm. That person with that power is with you if you're a believer today. His presence is with you and can calm and bring peace to your heart. You know, throughout the Bible, I'll close with this. Throughout the Bible, one of the ways God reveals himself to us is through his names. There are many names used throughout Scripture for, for God and who he is. And it describes 
not just an identification, but it actually tells us who he is and his character is what these names represent. And in the Old Testament, the most frequently used name for God is Jehovah or Yahweh, depending on how you want to pronounce it.